Good afternoon. Welcome to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We look forward to having you on the show. Thanks for joining us. This afternoon's episode is titled, I Appeal Unto Caesar. It shall be focused on a study of Acts chapter 25. Before we go any further, we begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank thee for thy word. And Lord, we know many times we are oddballs among the world and they look at us and they think we're weird. But we look at them and we see, Father, that they're different. And we thank thee that you've made us different and that you've made set us aside to be your representatives. And so help us, Father, to be faithful to that election. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next... We shall listen to Acts chapter 25. Chapter 25. Now when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul, and besought him, and desired favor against him, that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about, and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. And after certain days King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix about whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that, he which is accused have the accusers face to face, and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come hither, without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat, and commanded the man to be brought forth. Against whom, when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition, and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. 
Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice, with great pomp, and was entered into the place of hearing, with the chief captains and principal men of the city, at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore I have brought him forth before you, and specially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Reverend William Branham titled The Oddball. This was preached in 1964 on June the 14th in the evening. We'll begin at paragraph 22 up to paragraph 56. I trust you find it to be a blessing. You know, there's so many things today that people become oddballs, we call it. And that expression, if anyone has ever heard it, it means somebody that's peculiar. Somebody that's odd to another fellow. And no doubt but what many of us are odd one to another. And now, I was going down the street one time in Los Angeles, California, and I seen a very odd person, acting odd. And he's walking down the street, not picketing, but he was just merely like taking an afternoon stroll. And I went to the other side of the street to see what he was doing. Everybody was turning around laughing at him because of his peculiarity. I noticed he had a sign hanging on the front of him. And I thought I'd see what everybody was laughing about, this odd, peculiar man. And so he was, I noticed him as the people looked at him, they laughed at him, and, and but he seemed to have a different kind of a smile, a smile of contentment. The other smiles that the people were giving him was more like uh, uh, ridiculing him. But he seemed to be satisfied in what he was doing. Well, that's a whole lot to think about when a man's satisfied and what he's doing is right. Though he be an oddball to somebody else, if he is satisfied that what he's doing is right, then let him stay with it. And as I come close to the little man, I noticed on across his chest here on a plaque or a board was wrote, I am a fool. And at the bottom had for Christ. I am a fool in great letters. Down at the bottom said for Christ. And everybody was laughing at this. And as the little man pressed on down to the crowd of jeers and carrying on, I turned to look what was on his back. 
And there was a great big question mark on his back and down at the bottom said, Now whose fool are you? Well, I, I thought he had something there, he said. Uh, but he seemed to be satisfied that he could be a fool for Christ. And that's what Paul said he had become, a fool for Christ. Uh, Brother Troy, uh, the full gospel businessman, a very good friend of mine, he, he's a meat cutter. And getting some kind of a germ in his hand from cutting pork one time, I some man who knows or woman might know what the germ was, but it, it'll eat you up. So in order to save his life, he had to, to amputate three fingers. And he only has two fingers on one hand. But yet he remains as a butcher. And there was a little German who worked with him in a, a butcher shop down in Los Angeles. Uh, so he, uh, he kept trying to lead the little uh, Dutchman to uh, Christ. And uh, he said he was a Lutheran and it was all right with him. He was satisfied that he was a Christian because he belonged to the Lutheran church, as he stated it. So one night, Brother Troy had the privilege of getting him to go to church. His name was Henry, and Henry in German is Heinrich, and so they call him Heine. You've heard that expression. He said, Heine, how about going to church with me tonight? Well, he said, I believe I'll go. So he went down to an old-fashioned meeting where he was having a prayer meeting, and he really got under conviction and gave his heart to Christ. Oh, the next day, this little Dutchman was enjoying himself. Every once in a while, he would just walk through the building with his hands up in the air, saying, Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And he attracted the attention to all of all of them. You see, he become an oddball to the whole line of meat cutters. And he'd be cutting meat. He'd start thinking about the Lord. He'd start crying. He'd lay the knife down and walk up and down the aisles. Not hysterically, but just uh, making love to Christ. Saying, oh, how I love you, Jesus. You know, just walking back and forth. And the boss came by and seen him do this. And as he went walking down, crying, and the boss, he never noticed the boss. He was thinking about Jesus. And he started down with his hands up in the air and the tears rolling down his cheeks, saying, Oh, God, how I love you. And the boss said, Heine, what in the world has happened to you? He said, Everybody in the, in the whole line is talking about it. What in the world's happened to you, Heine? The little Dutchman said, Oh, boss, he said, Glory to God, I got saved. <laughs> he said, You got what? He said, I got saved. He said, I went with Brother Troy here down to a little mission, and I, I got saved, and Jesus came into my heart, and I'm so full of love. He said, You must have went down to that bunch of nuts. He said, Yeah. Said, glory to God. Said, thank God for the nuts. <laughs> he said, you know, you take an automobile coming down the road and you take all the nuts out of it, you ain't got nothing but a bunch of yunk. <laughs> well, I don't know but what the little Dutchman is just about right. 
take all the nuts out, the nuts is what holds it together. And I think that's what holds the church together sometimes. Holds civilization together. Now, coming down from a visit at Prescott a few days ago, I was looking at the desert and noticing how that out of Phoenix they had the Japanese gardens. And they had flowers in there, beautiful flowers. Where when I was a boy out there, I herded cattle down through those places. The cows, wasn't no grass, so they just lived on cactus beans and so forth. And then I noticed that there has been a, a reproduction to the use of the desert. And in the desert, we find that the cactus and the flowers and in our home there, or the home we're renting, Sister Larson, I think she was here this morning, I seen her. And uh, she has a flower bed on the outside of, of the house, some dirt, everything there is sand. So she had some dirt and a large flower bed on each side of the duplex. And every morning I have to get out and water those flowers. If I don't water them, they'll die. And they'll, and then again I have to get some spray and spray them to keep the lice off of them. And the bugs will eat them up. And then you go just a little beyond that, 30 feet from that, there's some flowers growing, and out in the desert they're growing, and you could dig down 20 feet, and it'd be like a powder keg. Nothing in the world but just dust. And there's no water at all. And who sprays them? See, these in the flower bed, if you fail to spray them and to water them, the termites or the bugs, lice will eat them up. But the lice can't touch that one out there in the desert. And neither does he have to be babied and watered every day. He is a production of the Creator. This is a hybrid reproduction. And I think that today the reason Christianity has become to the people a nut is because that we've got a bunch of reproductions and not genuine Christians. A bunch that has to be babied and sprayed and in order to stay in the church. I can imagine the very first church, what they were, you compare it with this reproduction today, this would be a cheap production of what the real first church was that rugged believers in God with the Holy Ghost. You baby, not them. You didn't have to pat them and tell them you take them in this one and if they get tired that one, they go to another one and you'll make them a deacon if they'll come over here and leave this other one. That's a hybrid reproduction. I was thinking of Michelangelo's original painting, I believe, of The Last Supper. I think he painted it. Do you realize what that original picture would cost you? It would be countless thousands of dollars. Would never touch that original. Because it's beyond price. 
it's so valued so high. But you can buy a cheap reproduction of it for about $2. That's why people today can't understand the ruggedness of real genuine believers. They become a nut. You know, the world gets in such a rut that every once in a while you have to have a nut to straighten it out. Take somebody, come on the scene, it's a little different. And he is a nut to that generation. I was thinking the other day, who is able, who today is not a nut? You're somebody's nut. I believe the world is completely going insane. Did you know it's a time that people can't judge between right and wrong? Or truth or error? Do you know the politicians can't judge right and wrong? You see them keeping quiet on this voting the Bible back in the church or into the Bible back into the school? They don't know which way the politics are going to blow. Think of it. I don't know how it is in Indiana now, but in the state of Arizona, it's against the law to read the Bible in school. I think it's the same thing in Indiana. Or nearly the whole United States because some infidel woman changed the whole program. And remember, it's against the law to read the Bible in our public schools, but believers' taxes supports infidelity to be taught in the school. Politics, we need another Abraham Lincoln. We need another Patrick Henry. We need an American who can stand out regardless of where the politics are and call right, right, and wrong, wrong. Did you know preachers today can't judge which is right, the Word of God or the church denomination? They don't know which road to take. They can't judge between right and wrong. I know the Bible says it, but our church says. See, people are not capable of judging right from wrong. Anything is contrary to the Bible is wrong. God's word is right and every man's word is a lie. It's contrary to it. And to try to stand now upon a, a, a kind like that and to stand for what's right, you become a nut. Let's call a few characters. I can imagine the prophet Noah in that great day that he lived in. That great scientific age where they built pyramids and sphinx. Where they could prove that there was no water in the skies but scientific research. And here comes this old man out there and said there's coming rain out of the heavens. Noah was a nut to that generation. He become a nut. Let's think of Moses. Moses. When he went down to Pharaoh, as we spoke this morning, and Moses going down to Pharaoh and saying, The Lord sent me down to bring these slaves out with a stick in his hand against the great army that had the whole world conquered. Pharaoh and all of his scientific genius thought Moses was a nut. And he was a nut to them. I can imagine the prophet Elijah in his great day when the fabulous 
an age of fashion when Ahab and Jezebel ruled the world as it was in them days. And all the fashions and things that Jezebel wanted to wear and how she had all the women uh, dressing like her and her paints and going on, her fashions, the way that she uh, fashioned herself. And when some old crank like Elijah come out on the scene and withstood the whole nation, that Ahab, he was a nut. That's right. Amos, the prophet, when he come to Samaria in the day that Samaria was like Hollywood today, the women on the street dressing and even public adultery, how they carry on and live out there, letting man, it's almost a public adultery today right before you. I went to a certain place the other night to get something to eat, and the little boys and girls up there hugging and kissing like I don't know what. And do you know, my little sister, that that's potentially an adultery? When a man kisses you, he's potentially committed adultery with you. You should never let him kiss you until you're married. For the glands, both male and female glands, is in the lips. Do you understand? And when male and female glands come together, let it be where it may be. You have potentially committed adultery. And you shouldn't let a boy kiss you until that veil is raised on your face and you're his wife. Don't do that. It's committing adultery. It's mixing male and female glands. Why don't a man kiss a man? woman kiss a woman in the lips? Because it don't cross the glands. Children is born by crossing glands. So it's almost a public adultery again. Everywhere. Look on the screens and everything you see. A, a slobbering and a, a carrying on. No wonder immorality is on the is on the incline. How can they do it and burn themselves all up by kissing those women in the mouth? Knowing that that's adultery. God won't forgive it unless you repent. And now, when coming up, uh, this great prophet Amos, he's known as one of the minor prophets because there wasn't too much wrote of him. But he had the word of the Lord and he looked out upon that city, all given into parks, men sitting with their arms around women and women with their arms around men, just a modern Hollywood. And he walked down to that city and said, you'll repent or perish. He was a nut. He had almost declared himself insane to them. John, the Baptist, when he come on the scene to the religious denominations that day, he was a nut. He had the opportunity to become a priest to follow his father's footsteps. But he refused to do it because God had kept him out of those creeds and denominations. Because his job was too important, he was to announce the Messiah coming. And when he had nothing to do with either Pharisees, Sadducees, or whatever it was, he rejected the whole group of them and said, Don't you begin to say we have Abraham to our father, for I say that God's able of these stones to rise children to Abraham. 
to the to the religious world of his days, he was a nut. Right. When Jesus came on the scene to the religious people of his days, he was also a nut. Because they said, you are a Samaritan. You're out of your mind. You're a madman. In other words, a crazy man. He was that to the people, your Lord and Savior. No wonder Paul, trained by Gamaliel to be a priest, the opportunity is someday becoming a high priest. And on his road down to Damascus, he was struck down by a supernatural light. And he looked up being a Jew and know that pillar of fire was what led his people. He said, Lord, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. And when he forfeited his education, he forfeited all of his theology that he'd been trained in the school. And become a regular street preacher. He was a nut. He said, I have become a fool. And the people thought he was mad beside himself. He told Festus, I'm not man. He just knew the Lord. But to know the Lord in a religious group. I hope you don't miss it. To know Jesus this day amongst a religious group, you are a nut. It hasn't changed. As we get towards the end of this episode, we end with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thou told us that when we are before dignitaries and we should not fear or worry what we shall say for it shall be given us what to say at the appointed time so we thank thee father to see how you led paul through all his trials to know that the same guiding unseen hand is still with us yet today and leading us as well we thank thee for thy blessings in the name of jesus christ we pray amen thanks for listening to honey in the rock your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement we hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the bible from cover to cover to make this a better listening experience for you would really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you.
The glorious news I'll tell and sing as onward I go. Yes, onward I go. That those who are still astray and sin, my Savior may know. My Savior may know. I want them to sing His praises above some beautiful day. Some beautiful day. For glory to Him who died for me, I'm going that way. I'm going that way. I'm going that way. I'm going that way. And Jesus the Savior I adore is with me each day. Never too strange. For singing his praises all day long, I'm going that way. I'm going that way.